I love being here. This is like my favorite thing. Coming here with all you ladies. Thank you for praying, Heather. All right, so uh, I was recently able to go to a conference down in Southern California. It was actually held at the Dolby Theater where they give away the Oscars. It was called She Rises, um, and it was amazing. It was just full of women worshiping God, hearing from great teachers, Beth Moore, Louis Giglio, Holly Wagner. It was just the place was packed out with women worshiping. Um, and I want to just give a side note while I have this audience that you can't go anywhere, a little public service announcement. When you're at a conference, don't get on your phone. Don't, um, here's a picture of somebody in front of us. Beth Moore is up there giving out nuggets of wisdom, and this girl's looking at chicken dinners and going through her Instagram and posting on her Facebook and double-clicking all the pictures that she likes. And it's um, rude, and it's really distracting to the people around you. Um, the girl next to me, a speaker would start, and she'd take a picture and go through 15 filters to be able to post it and then keep checking to see what people said. And uh, I wanted to just kind of take phones and praise the Lord with them and throw them in the air. <laughs> So when you're somewhere, ladies, let's be totally present. You can, if it's a speaker you love, take a picture, and then when you get back to your room, then you can post it. But Instagram and Facebook and, I mean, tweeting, everything was happening right there around us, and it was so distracting. And you think you're in this little bubble where nobody can see you. We see you. We see the food that you like. We see... You know, and so it's just, it's distracting. So since I have you all here, that's my public service announcement. When you're in church, when you're at a conference, no matter where you're at, if there's someone speaking, if there's worship, if somebody's praying, just put your phone somewhere else and then do all that other social media stuff later. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Now people are like putting their phones away. No. Um, so this conference I was at was so timely for me personally, but a lot of it was about being anchored in the storm. Everything, all the speakers were rallying around this idea of being anchored in the storm and waves and being battered and um, having our identity in God. And afterwards, about 40 women from Cornerstone got together and had a little debriefing talk about what impacted them the most. And I noticed how many women were still living out of some old identity, some old labels that had been put on them, some old experiences, some past mistakes, past accusations from others or from themselves, past lies. And it was like the past was literally controlling their current circumstances. It was literally calling all the shots for what they were doing now. And I thought, this is a problem. If this is happening so much in our little group of 40, imagine how many women just in general are dealing with this type of thing. I'll tell you a little bit about my own experience, and I'll tell you about some of the labels that controlled me for a long time. In elementary school, I was a nerd. Can you see me in that picture? Can you find Kim? The middle with her mouth open like a baby bird. I have no idea what is happening. Everybody's smiling, and that's me with my mouth wide open. I don't know what she said to say. 
but I was saying it with passion. Um, that's me. You know, neck stretched out. So I had really thick brown glasses. I had freckles. I had something called eczema, so my hands sweat. My hands sweat so much that when I'd write on that brown paper that you learned to write all your letters on, it would rip because it would just be wet. Or when I took, had to take um, square dancing, the boy said, everybody come feel her hands, they're so gross and sweaty. Um, I had very white skin. For a while, I actually wore a patch on one eye, like a pirate, which is awesome when you want to be popular. Um, it wasn't like the black piratey patch. It was like a giant Band-Aid patch that I, that I had to wear. Um, I said big words, because I was a smart kid. And I had red hair, which doesn't seem like a huge deal now. It was a huge deal then. They're just, I was the only redhead in my whole elementary school. Now people see red hair all the time. Back then, women weren't always dyeing their hair red and everything, so I was the only one. Um, and th there was actually a song about me. Red, red, wet your bed, wipe it up with gingerbread. I don't remember the tune, but there it was. Um, I remember having my Howdy Doody lunch pail. Does anybody know who Howdy Doody is? He was a red marionette character type puppet thing. I had a Howdy Doody lunch pail. Maybe I was asking for it. I don't know. Um, thrown down the hall. My clarinet was taken by a bully at the bus stop who tried to put it together and run around playing it until my brother, who was 12 years older than me, rumbled up in his giant van and scared the bully away. Um, there were lots of creative nicknames, Copper Top, right? Howdy Doody, Carrot Top, Ronald McDonald, that was a good one. Um, nothing affirming for a young girl trying to feel, to fit in somehow and feel good about herself. So I learned really early on what pretty was, okay? And I knew in my young mind that I was not pretty. Um, I learned what pretty girls got. They got special attention from the teachers, the boys liked them. They had cool friends. Um, by the time I was in fourth or fifth grade, I pretty much knew, okay, I'm ugly because that's how they're treated and that is not how I'm treated. So there I was, nerd, unlovable, ugly, and alone. There's my first labels, right? As I progressed through junior high, it was about the same. The ideas about myself were just kind of reiterated and confirmed and enforced. Um, but it was compounded by a kid on a bus who told everybody I was pregnant with his baby and gave details about our escapade. And I was like a very innocent, shy, nerdy church girl. Um, my mom had to go see the principal and all that kind of stuff. So I'm devastated. But I plowed on. I had friends now. We were quiet, nerdy friends that caught butterflies in Ziplocs during recess. Um, not to be mean, we thought we were having fun, you know. Um, and I knew how to be a good friend because I knew my looks weren't gonna get me anywhere, but if I was a good friend and I was funny, that that would take me a long way. So fast forward many years after I'd worked through those low self-esteem issues and knocked off some of those labels with the help of the Holy Spirit, and I'll give you a tip. If you have that stuff from your past that's hanging on, it's like I did, um, the key to that is forgiveness. Like the Lord literally, I knew by name each kid and teacher that made me feel ugly or less than or not important, and I forgave them by name all the way up through college. 
and it breaks something, it breaks the power of what those words had over you. So forgiveness is really key to that. So then I go to seminary, Fuller Theological Seminary, and I find some new labels. I find out that as a woman, I'm unqualified for ministry. Isn't that awesome? So they would pick the men around me that had less experience than me to do things, not Fuller, but churches that we were around. Instead of me, I had four or five years of ministry experience before going to Fuller. I had my emotionally abusive seminary boyfriend that I've talked to about now and again. He called me embarrassing, said I was embarrassing, uh, called me socially inept. I'm like the most socially apt person like I've ever met. Like I'm a people person. That's just who I am, right? Um, met with my family, super tight family. I love my family. And he's like, you smile so fake with your family. And I would just be like, oh, you know, like really? I was just beaten down by his words. So there's my labels. Embarrassing, fake, socially inept. How many know Satan will use other people around us to superglue unhealthy labels on us, right? The, um, the poor in the tasting room at uh, Mitchell Katz, which we live close to Mitchell Katz, the poor's name is Carol. She's one of our favorite ladies. We love this lady. And the other day, it was really hot when we were visiting her, and she goes, I want to put up my hair. And I go, why don't you put up your hair? She's in her 60s. Well, in seventh grade, some punk kid called her hoghead because he thought she had a big head. Seventh grade. Now she's in her 60s and doesn't want to wear her hair up because she's self-conscious about that. So this kid in seventh grade is deciding for her now how she's going to wear her hair. Even people we respect and love can put unhealthy labels on us. Our parents, you're never going to amount to anything boyfriends, pastors even, can put unhealthy labels on us. So then I work through those issues, right? Prayer, forgiveness, Holy Spirit, and I get postpartum depression with my son. And I get a whole new set of labels that I label myself with. Failure, incompetent, defective, and monster. Those are literally the words I used about myself when I had postpartum depression. I'm sorry I'm so defective. I must be a monster. I feel incompetent. So we can walk around with these labels, and then we allow them to define us and make decisions for us, right? But then we somehow think that nobody else is dealing with this, that no other women have this sort of battle, I've noticed that women tend to think that the other women around them are either sinless or trouble-free, um, especially those women that are in ministry positions. We assume that they have lived some sort of Christian privileged life, um, like Beth Moore. It's a, you, know, you see her up there and you're like, she's probably had a great, perfect Christian life. And it's just not true at all. In fact, when she spoke, she said, I don't have one memory of innocence from my entire life. From childhood, from childhood. I don't have any past memory of innocence from my childhood. So everyone's got stuff that they're working through. Every woman you see, whether she's up here or she's out speaking or you go to her study, every woman around you is dealing with labels or issues and they've worked through a lot of it, you know. 
but everybody has it. So when I came across this text in Zechariah, I knew that it was our text for this month. Um, Zechariah is considered one of the minor prophets in the Old Testament. Uh, the Old Testament prophets are categorized as major and minor, but it's not because the major ones are super important and the minor ones are just eh, whatever. It's not like that. It's just the size of the books. So he is one of the smaller books in length. Last month we learned about Ezekiel, a prophet called to speak judgment on the people of Israel because their sins were so vast against God. But we learn that he also speaks hope, that Yahweh would draw them back to himself and give them a new life, but not until after their temple was destroyed. Eighteen years after being released from captivity from Babylon, we find the Jews partway through rebuilding their temple that had been torn down. And in our text this morning, Zechariah is writing to this restoration community to motivate the Jews to finish rebuilding the temple, to rededicate themselves to Yahweh, because they were very overwhelmed. It may have been 18 years since they had been released from captivity, but they were in captivity for 70 years. Um, not only did they have to rebuild the temple, they had to completely reestablish their worship. These were descendants of people who had really stopped worshiping Yahweh altogether and had started following other idols. They were disobedient to God's warnings. This generation that Zechariah is talking to had never observed temple worship firsthand. And so they were going to have to reestablish that. They had to reestablish their identities, not as slaves, not as victims, not as pagans, but as Yahweh's chosen people, his image bearers. And in the first chapter of Zechariah, we read the, that the word of the Lord, and remember what we learned about L-O-R-D when it's in all caps? It means Yahweh. It actually says Yahweh in the text. In the first chapter, we read that the word of the Lord, or Yahweh, came to Zechariah. And it says, The Lord was very angry with your ancestors. Therefore, tell the people, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Return to me, declares the Lord Almighty, and I will return to you. And when I was writing this, I felt like the Lord said, somebody here this morning, this is for you. God's saying, I don't care what the past is. I don't care what your current situation is. I don't care, I don't care, I don't care. Just return to me. Just return to me, and I'm right here. I'm right here. He's just waiting. Just turn around, and I'm here. And he goes on to say, don't be like your ancestors that had to be told, turn away from your evil ways. They wouldn't listen. They wouldn't pay attention to me. And he says, where are your ancestors now? He's saying, where did that get them to, to live the way that they wanted and not follow me? Where did that get them? Some of you here this morning need to know that you have a choice and an obligation to not go down the same path as your broken parents and make their same bad decisions because some of you in here know what I'm talking about if that pa your parents just made some bad decisions if you see that the home your parents built was shoddy unsafe and open to the elements do not make their blueprint your blueprint okay where did that get them some of you find yourselves in brokenness now because you've been following the patterns of those who have gone before you you're not your last name, you're not your past, 
You're not your parents' mistakes. You're not your ancestors' indiscretions. If your family is plagued with generations of alcoholism or affairs, break it off your family in Jesus' name. Did you know you could do that? Did you know that that's a real thing? If you think about it this way, let's say you live in a 15-story apartment complex, right? And it has a trash chute. And so each floor has a big thing that they put their trash in, and it all goes down to the basement in a big bin, right? So all the trash goes down to that basement. Well, generationally, that's kind of how it works, and you're the basement. And so everybody's trash generationally gets put in, put in, put in, put in. And then if Satan has his way, it's all on you. It all becomes your trash. But you can say no to that in Jesus' name. You can, because his name is so powerful. You can say, I break alcoholism off my family line in Jesus' name. I break depression and mental illness off my family line in Jesus' name. I break adultery off my family line in Jesus' name. And you break that off. I'm not taking that trash on me. We have the power and authority over the enemy to do that. So if you have that stuff that's clinging to your family and you see, you can go up the generations and go, alcoholism, 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 break it off. You can do that. You can be free from those curses. So the Israelites repent, knowing that they had messed up. And the Lord said, I will return to Jerusalem with mercy, and there my house will be rebuilt. He says, I am coming, and I will live among you. They repented, and he's like, okay, here I come. Here I come. Chapter 2, verse 13, he says, Be still before Yahweh, all mankind, because he has roused himself from his holy dwelling. He's roused himself. He's getting up, and he's coming to them. Your God your victorious warrior, your loving father, your defender, your protector, your conqueror, your champion has roused himself from his holy dwelling this morning. And he's here. And his desire is to remove all the labels that the enemy has burdened you with, has stuck you with, and give you his name and his label that we'll get to in a minute. So our text this morning is Zechariah chapter 3. I'm going to read chapter 3 starting in verse 1. Now if you want to pull out your phone and look up the Bible on your phone, you can. <laughs> Just don't then go, oh, I have a text message. Oh, I have a Facebook notification. Oh, somebody responded to my tweet. And then you're like on your phone doing 10 other things. Ladies, you all keep each other accountable. Give them a stink eye if they like go over to Instagram, all right? But you can look it up on your phone, that's fine. Zechariah 3. Then he showed, this is one of the visions that he had. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. Yahweh said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. Indeed, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and standing before the angel. He spoke and said to those who were standing before him, saying, Remove the filthy garments from him. 
And again he said to him, See, I have taken away your iniquity away from you and will clothe you with festal robes. Then I said, Let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments while the angel of the Lord was standing by. And the angel of the Lord admonished Joshua, saying, Thus says the Lord, or Yahweh of hosts, If you will walk in my ways, and if you will perform my service, then you will also govern my house, have charge of my courts, and I will grant you free access among these who are standing here. So the setting of this vision is like the meeting of a heavenly council, right? And it begins with an angel showing Zechariah, Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan is standing at his right hand, ready to accuse him. Now, this isn't the Joshua, like Joshua and Caleb, the Joshua from the first settling of the people of Israel. This Joshua was the current high priest and was the one chosen to lead the people of Israel, to lead the exiles in restoring worship of Yahweh. And as the high priest in the vision, Joshua is standing as a representative of all of Israel. And here the word standing is, is a technical term, really, for priestly ministry. He's there ministering to the Lord. And the angel of the Lord, or the angel of Yahweh, when it speaks of the angel of Yahweh, is thought by most to actually be the pre-incarnate Jesus, which just means the Jesus before he took on flesh. Because the word says that he, all things were made by and through him. And so we know that he was there at the beginning when the world was created. Because he and Yahweh and the Holy Spirit are all in our triune God. So they think it was actually that this was the pre-incarnate Jesus there in that setting. Oddly enough, Satan was also a member of the council, the heavenly council. And for just a little reference that you can look up later in Job 1 and 2, you'll find a similar situation where Satan is up there in this sort of council. The word Satan has a definite article, and for all you teachers, that means it, it has a the. It's not like, and Satan came, it's the Satan. So it's the Satan, and in the Hebrew, it's ha-satan. Ha-Satan versus just Satan. It means the adversary. The adversary. And the definition of adversary is an opponent. And the definition of opponent is enemy, antagonist, combatant, contender, challenger. And you wonder why it's like, why was it so hard to get here this morning? Why is it so hard to get to church? Why is it so hard to do these things? Well, antagonist, combatant, contender, challenger, that is who is against you, right? And when the term appears this way, it's actually a title for a being who seems to serve as a prosecuting attorney in the heavenly court. So the Satan, the accuser, is ready to put forth his case on Israel, right? Pointing out Israel's unfaithfulness, pointing out their unworthiness of God's favor. Does that sound familiar to anyone? She's not worthy, Lord, of your favor. That's why he's standing at his right hand, because during that time, the right hand was the traditional place where the accuser stood in court. In Revelation 12.10, it says, The accuser accuses the brethren before God day and night. We have an enemy. We have an enemy. 
he's real. Paul tells us not to be ignorant to his schemes, so be aware that we have an enemy, and he's just going to accuse you day and night. And I think the more we're aware of that, we can shut those things down when he brings them at us. Sometimes you think it's your spouse when it's really Satan using your spouse. So you're all in a rut at your husband when you need to be rebuking the devil because he has got him saying just the right thing to make you feel attacked and accused, and it's all Satan. So you just, I rebuke that, you know, maybe not do that. You say, I rebuke you, devil, to your husband. That might need you in counseling. But get in your war room, you know, and be like, devil, no way. Get off my marriage. I will not, be, I will not receive those attacks. The Bible says a curse without cause cannot alight. It flits around with no place to land. And so Satan will try to speak curses or accuse you, and you can be just be like, no, you cannot. I will not take that. So what does Satan use to accuse us and slander us? Well, obviously he's going to use the actual sin that we're dealing with. I'm talking about sin that we currently struggle with. Um, the Holy Spirit brings conviction, says, come on, let's turn this around. Why don't you repent? Let's, his kindness leads us to repentance, right? And Satan just goes, guilt, shame, guilt, shame, and just, but keep doing it. Guilt and shame, but come on, keep doing it, right? He will accuse us and slander us using past sin that just has us bound up in guilt and shame from our past. Uh, other sin can be used to slander and accuse us. Mean words, bullying, abuse, physical or um, emotional, unfaithfulness, and those lead to our shame, even though it's someone else sinning. And lastly, lies. Satan's called the father of lies, right? Words that are simply untrue. Like rationally, they do not work at all with us. They do not make sense. There's no logical reason for us feeling a certain way. But Satan kind of throws them out there to see if we'll put them on. See if, see if they'll fit. So we go in like Target, you know, into the changing room. And it's like, am I this? Let me put this on and see. Well, it kind of it does fit. So I might be... I might be that, you know, this depressed, or I might be whatever it is that he's trying to get you to put on. And then we end up succumbing to the doubt and depression that they bring when really it was just a lie. He was just speaking lies. When I had postpartum depression, he would tell me, you will never be happy again. You will never be happy again. And you are a failure as a mom. Well, those were lies. So I had to, so sometimes I'd fully put them on and be like, yep, this fits. That's it, that's truth. And it was like, no, that's a lie. And you speak out truth, 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 always. But notice how much of these things lead us to shame, right? If Satan gets, can get us stuck in the quicksand of shame, his job is half done. Because we just won't do anything if we're deep in shame. We don't speak out. We don't stand up for ourselves or others. We don't believe in our destiny and our purpose. We don't serve or minister. And Satan hates it when we come into God's presence to minister, to serve him. He'll do everything he can to make us feel unworthy, dirty, unable, disqualified, and defeated. 
And I'm telling you, God right now wants to raise up a company of women to do awesome stuff in the church. So it's so important that this stuff gets broken off because he wants us to be moving forward in this awesome thing he's doing with women. He really is doing something amazing with, with women and the church. So Satan tries to get you to feel all these things, and that's what he was doing to Joshua, right? Satan, the adversary, is standing there probably hurling accusations at Joshua in this heavenly council, declaring, hey, he's unfit to serve. Don't you, shall I remind you of everything that happened in Judah? Shall I remind you of everything that his people have done? He's reminding him of all their indiscretions, the sexual sin, the idolatry, the blasphemy, the rebellion, the killing of children for idol worship. How humiliating for Joshua to be standing there in these, this filth having his dirty laundry aired out right in front of Yahweh, right in front of God. He's supposed to be the priest, and he's just being accused of all these horrible things. And of course, God already knew all of it. He already knew everything that Satan was spouting out. In verse 2, God himself says, he doesn't say, oh, guilty is charged, taken to the stocks, you know. That's not what he says. When Satan's done ranting and raving about all their stuff, God's like, overruled. Overruled, counsel, you're dismissed. You can, I cannot allow that in my courtroom. And shuts him down, all Judge Judy style. <laughs> Step aside, overruled, not gonna happen. And he says, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord rebuke you. Indeed, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? And what a firebrand is, you know when you have a, a campfire or a you know, there's this, the, or just even a fire in your fireplace, there are sticks that they start to get so burned, they're just kind of a long stick of uh, embers and it's black and it's almost about to turn to ash, right? The firebrand is the piece of wood that, be, that would be completely burnt up if it didn't get pulled out at the last minute. And God had brought them through this captivity in Assyria and Babylon, and he preserved them before it became complete ash. And Spurgeon uh, did a little paraphrase of this, and I love it, and I actually switched it to be for women, the paraphrase of this. So I'm going to read that to you. This would be Yahweh speaking. You say this woman is black, like soot? Of course she is. What did I think she was but that? She's a brand plucked from the fire. I plucked her out of it. She was burning when she was in it. She is black now that she's out of it. She was what I knew she would be. She is not what I mean to make her. But she is what I knew she would be. I have chosen her as a brand plucked out of the fire. What have you to say about that? That's God. That's God with his girls. Look, I knew what I was getting into when I called her. I still called her because I know what she's going to be. He knew your stuff before he chose you. Does anyone else feel like you've been through the fire? Like if God hadn't pulled you out, who knows where you'd be? That was me in college. If he hadn't said, Kim, you best move home with your parents, lickety split, 
If I wouldn't have followed that advice, I don't know where I would be today if I hadn't pulled myself out of that, the lifestyle that I was going down when I was in college. So notice how Joshua is silent in this. He has zero defense because everything's true. Everything's true. Oh, there we go. He stood there helpless with those that he represented, conscious of their sin and failure to obey, aware of God's holiness. He felt rightfully condemned by Satan, right? But the Lord, using his own authority as, you know, God and the creator of all things, rebukes Satan. Joshua was protected from the accusations because of the Lord's sovereign choice of Jerusalem. Satan may judge us based on our sin, but God, God judges us based on Christ. And Christ trumps all. No matter what Satan hurls at you, how he accuses you, what he tries to say, you're like, Christ, how do I plead Christ? Thank you, because he trumps all. And I love that when Satan hurls our past indiscretions at us, sexual sin, abortion, blasphemy, rebellion, lies, God knows it all, and he rebukes him, not us. When Satan throws all that at you, God's like, rebuke you, devil. I plucked her out of the fire. Back off. Sometimes we feel like he's going to rebuke us, but no, he, he, that's not what he does. He rebukes the devil for coming after us, okay? Because we are Christ's sovereign choice. In John 15, 9, it says, I have chosen you out of the world. In Ephesians 1, 11, in him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. He chose us before he created the world. Before you were born, God made a place for you. This should be your identity before any other label or title that gets put on you. You were chosen by God. You were chosen. You were made by him. Louis Giglio spoke at this conference we were at, and he said, there's no other you in all of history that he's asked you to be a part of his story, and he has a place for you in it. He has a place for you in his story, and there's nobody else like you since the beginning of time until the end of time that will be you. The hand that holds history guides you and your place in it. Because we have been chosen, Jesus himself comes to our defense to silence Satan's slanderous attacks and lies on us. Even with sin, where it should bring anger, it brings compassion. He's our defense, our deliverer, our stronghold, and our refuge. So whoever you are, the Lord who has chosen Kim rebuke you. That's what he would say to the devil. When the devil comes at me with my own brokenness or my own issues or my own sin, hey, the Lord who has chosen Kim, I've chosen her. I rebuke you, devil. So remember that. The Lord who has chosen this daughter of the king rebuke you. She is forgiven. You may not call her a loser, an addict, a whore, a failure, unfaithful, a bad mom, disqualified, unwanted, unimportant, cheap, disposable, abandoned, idiot, stupid, lazy. You can't call her any of those labels. 
because she's chosen. That's, that's who she is. How about this one? Not good enough. I think that's Satan's favorite label. And then he spends our whole lives reinforcing it with everybody that he can to get us to reinforce that label on us. And so that's what drives us in our decisions and in our dreams and in our hopes and what we do next. But I'm not good enough. They're better, but I'm not good enough for A, B, and C. Satan will use everyone around you he can to reinforce that. But it's not your identity. It's a lie. Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments, verse 3, and was standing before the angel. And he said to those who were standing before him, Remove those filthy garments from him. See, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I'm going to clothe you in festal robes. This word filthy only occurs in this form here, and it's pertaining to be, being covered with feces, like human excrement, just covered in, you know, poop is what it is, smeared. Um, like when you walk in the house from the backyard, if you have a dog and you're like, why do I keep smelling that? I know I didn't step in any. Oh, I can smell. It just fills the whole house. And then you look, and it's like a tiny thing, but the whole house smells like dog poop, right? He's covered in this. You can imagine the stench was probably unbearable. And that is sin. That is how disgusting it is to God, okay? Joshua was representing Israel's sin. In the natural, he probably looked fine. His priestly robes looking so nice. But peel back the natural and look in the spirit, and this was how he looked, filthy and unclean. Even though people had returned and were rebuilding the temple, there was still sin that had to be dealt with. And Joshua was a priest of the people and represented the people. He had to be cleansed in order to be acceptable to God. Because he and Israel had been forgiven, his filthy robes were removed. Joshua and his people were being cleansed, reinstated, and recommissioned. For that same reason, we can all sit here this morning in robes of righteousness. He takes off our filthy robes and clothes us with robes of righteousness because we're forgiving. We're forgiven. God wasn't looking at what was on the outside when he called Joshua out as innocent. He was looking at the inside and knowing, hey, he's chosen. He's chosen. This is what Jesus offers us this morning. We come to him, and we might be reeking and dirty with Satan tailing after us, hunting us like a predator, hurling accusations and labels and things at us. And Jesus rebukes him, forgives us, and replaces our filth with righteousness. That seems like a really good deal, right? We're cleansed, we're reinstated, we're recommissioned. It's a gift we only have to receive. We are chosen, and that's the label that we should, that will trump every other label. We are chosen and called and a part of his purposes and loved. Then Zechariah disrupts the proceedings and says, put a turban on his head, you know, and they do. They put a turban on his head. It's a sign of priestly service. So even though just moments before Joshua was covered in filth, in God's choosing him and forgiving him, he's now standing tall, turban on, ready to serve him. Regardless of Satan's avenue of attack, 
regardless what it is, you have been cleansed. We are chosen, we are called, and we are his. Most importantly, we are loved by him. He knew us when he chose us, our weaknesses, our sin, the worst of us, but he chose us anyway because he loves us so much. And he didn't rescue you from the fire to abandon you, okay? He rescued you to restore you to who he purposed you to be from the beginning when he brought that sperm and that egg together to create you. He's restoring you to that. So I've asked uh, Andrea to, to close us out in an exercise, and I knew it would probably be taking up maybe some, if not, it would take up some, if not all of our discussion time, but I think it's really important. Um, and first I'm gonna pray, but the first thing I'm gonna ask is, somebody here right now is like, this is why I'm here this morning. I have been beaten down and hit down by labels, by things spoken over me, things my parents have said, or things my boyfriend said, or things that somebody said, and I'm done with living under these labels, and I'm ready to stand up and stand in my identity as being chosen. Is there somebody here that this, this morning, has been like, this is why I'm here? Okay, I saw you back here. This is a necklace. It was from that conference, and it was given by uh, Lynn Holiday. She said, I think this is for somebody here this morning, and it says on it, She Rises. And it's just about um, God renaming us and filling us with his spirit and having us rise up to who he's purposed us to be, knowing that we're loved and all that. So I want you to have this. Okay, so I'm going to pray and then I'm going to have Andrea come up and lead us in this exercise. Uh, God, I love, I know that you're so happy when your girls hear truth. When your girls hear truth that they aren't meant to live under these labels, they aren't meant to live under the lies, they aren't meant to live under shame, they aren't meant to live under these titles of, of abuse or hurt or whatever, that they're meant to know that they're chosen and called and filled and gifted and purposed. And I pray this morning that as Andrea does this exercise, that Holy Spirit, you would come and break off some of these labels, break off some of these labels that have been plaguing these women. Break off the hurt or the not good enough or the depression, or that past thing she can't get past, break it off. I pray that at the end of this exercise, women would be, would be filled with um, not only this truth that they are chosen, but have good things spoken over them, good things that they could speak over their life, and they can look back and see all the times where you called on someone to speak blessings, good labels, good definitions, pro words of promise and hope and future. So Holy Spirit, I ask that you would come, let your presence come and fill this room, have your way, and I pray for just individual moments of healing with each and every woman here, that we could, that we could rise up and leave here like Joshua at the end with his head held high, ready to minister to you, Lord. You are so loving to us. You pull us out of the fire, and then you go, you're not who I meant you to be yet, but you are gonna, you're on your way to be the one I've purposed you to be.
thank you, Lord, for loving us and helping us navigate to that place. We bless you, Lord. Amen. Okay, so Andrea's going to come up and lead us in this. And I did have slides. Awesome. Thank you. Made. But you can take that down because you don't want to jump ahead. Okay. Yeah. There we so go. Just follow her lead. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Wasn't that amazing? Isn't it good to learn these spiritual truths about us? So um, what we're going to do for the next few minutes is take some steps toward identifying your personal labels and then figuring out the new ones that you want to live by. And what I learned this week in a class for life coaching is that if you learn something and you don't use what you learned within 24 to 72 hours, your brain is designed to dump that information and make room for new information. So lucky for you, we're going to do this right now, which means your brain's going to start to lock in the truths that Kim just taught us. So what you have on your table are some cards and some pens. Everybody needs one card and one pen. We're going to use a second card later, but right now you just need one. And on the side that doesn't have anything on it, write your name. And you can go ahead and show that slide now. And on the side with the lines, I'm going to give you two minutes, and I want you to write down everything that you've been called, that you can recall in your life. You've got a couple minutes just to kind of dig up the good labels and the bad labels. In some ways, you might think about the bad labels, even the things you've labeled yourself. If you've ever said, I'm too to do this, I'm too small, I'm too young, I'm too old, those are all labels you've put on yourself. I'm not. Those might be things that you've labeled yourself. Sometimes we can hear better what other people say. We can't always hear what we've labeled ourselves. So just give yourself a couple minutes, and then I'm going to call us back to the next step. Go for it. Are there any questions? Everybody understand? Got it? Okay. You've got about a minute left. Make sure you get some from each category, good and bad. <laughs> I can tell you the, the scientific reason for that. <laughs> I will in a minute.
All right, go ahead and wrap it up. So um, just for fun, the reason that your brain wants to recognize the things that are bad is kind of a flight or f fight or flight mechanism. Like it's more important as a person to recognize the snake that might bite you than it is to recognize the flower. But in a spiritual sense, the Satan, Satan's voice is, is a loud bang. He wants your attention. And God speaks in the whisper in the softer voice, and so you train your brain to listen to God's voice. Um, but physically speaking, our, our brains are just, you know, fi fix what's bad. Watch out for the potholes, and you're just naturally inclined to look at those things. So that's why your brain does that. Um, the next step I want you to do is to go a lightning round around your table and share one word from each category. If you are an extrovert, ladies, this is one word. You're not sharing the story. It's just one word. <laughs> and if you're an introvert, girls, you just got to get two words out. So on your mark, get set, share around your tables, and then we'll come back. All right, how'd we do? Everybody get to share? Okay, do I have one person who's willing to share with the room a good thing that you have as a label? Anybody willing to speak up? Come on, somebody be brave, it's okay. Share one word, somebody just shout it out, what's a good label? Enough? Enough, somebody said enough. Somebody share one of the bad labels. Stupid. So. What's important to understand is that words have different meanings for different people. Um, for me, small can either be good, as in today I got to choose my clothes from the smaller section, <laughs> or it can also be used to label my influence. It's small. Um, so just so that you know, the words that you choose may be the same in a good category or a bad category, and it's what, it's what you assign to it that makes it have value. So if somebody next to you has a word you put as bad in their good category, that's okay. <laughs> we can be different. Now your job is to take your black marker, and because you get to choose how you use words, you also get to decide which ones you don't want to define you. So your job is not to mark these words out with a single line, but to completely make it so that you cannot see them. You're going to color it out. You're going to scribble it out. You're going to make it. You are blotting out these labels from your life. So get rid of any on there that you do not want. And I'm going to give you just, a, just about a minute to do that. Color fast, girls. Listen to the room. We're getting rid of them. Go for it.
Okay. So this activity, I've done it a few times over the last couple of years with um, a group of women through an organization called Not For Sale. They're going through the reInvent program and these women are caught in human trafficking here in the East Bay. And they come into um, the room and we all sit down and I hand them these cards and we do this exact same activity. And it is incredible to watch these girls just cross out things that they've been called. They have no internal dialogue that says you are worthy, that says you are whole. They've been told all their lives, you are unlovable, nobody is gonna want you. And it has made them make choices in their life that are awful. And then we give them this next step. I say, now you get to choose what you want to add. And this light comes over their face like, you mean I can decide? because nobody has ever told them that they don't have to be what somebody else said they should be. So now it's your job to decide what's on there that, that wasn't on there before that you'd like to add. Add a few words, and when you're done adding words, start, start a new card. And put your name on the one side, and only the words that you want to define you on the other. I'm gonna give you another couple of minutes to go ahead and do that. The instructions are up here on the board if, you, if you're confused, but I can also help you if you don't know what's going on. Somebody share with us a word that you added to your list. Stronger. Stronger. Significant. Significant. World changer. Listen to these words, what we choose for ourselves that other people may or may not have chosen for us. Isn't that powerful? So before I release you to discuss a little bit at your tables and just to work with this, um, there are a couple things I want to share with you. The first is these women who I work with when we, we do this exercise, um, their words that they had been given by other people literally made them slaves. And the same can be true for us if we are willing to accept what people put on us or if we're willing to accept our own internal dialogue that doesn't speak God's truth. So my hope is that we will choose not the yoke of slavery, but the truth of God's freedom over our lives. And the other thing you need to know is that it's not done today. 
you might decide tomorrow that God is speaking something new over your life, and you can add that to your list. He's going to continue to renew you and to change you until you meet him face to face, and then you get an entire new creation, right? So let today be a catalyst for you to begin to believe what is actually true about you. One more thing about the brain, and then I'm going to let you go. Your brain, God designed it to create new pathways around what you do. So when you use this information, your brain begins to build a neural network. And as you continue it, it's like a muscle. It gets stronger. So if these things don't feel natural to you, keep using them because you're going to grow into them feeling natural. And those things that were natural to you before, your brain will eventually be like, we're not using that anymore. So when the Bible says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, it's because God designed your mind to actually transform. I'm going to close us in prayer and then let you guys discuss for as long as we have left. Lord, I thank you for the way that you have designed us, both physically and spiritually, to be people who transform into your likeness. I pray that you would give us the courage to live in the freedom of who you designed us to be. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.